welcome to Long Story Short, or welcome back. We took um, a week or two week break, uh, but we have something to make up for that break for you guys. I would call it a very large piece of candy and the best candy you've had in a while. So sit down, relax, because this podcast is going to blow your mind. Um, I'm going to let Rima do the introduction to this amazing person who agreed to talk to us. And so Rima, take it away. Introduce the piece of candy we have. Hello. All right. Well, our piece of candy, um, she stumbled into our laps after our last podcast about the catfish. And she came up to us and said that she's had interactions with this that catfish, Katie. And her name is Holly, and um, Holly, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, so hello everybody. As you can probably tell from my accent, I'm British. Um, So yeah, I have also had dealings with Katie. Um, And yeah, when I had the podcast, I just had to get in touch with the girls. So um, I also have cystic fibrosis, and um, I'm 25 years old. um, And when I was 22 years old, so back in February 2015, I got my double lung transplant. Woo! And <laughs> yeah, super happy. So it's actually my three-year anniversary tomorrow. So <gasps> Congratulations! Thanks! <laughs> um, so yeah, so obviously I've had a very similar life to the two girls and growing up with cystic fibrosis. Um, and basically, uh, back in, it was about 2010, I started a YouTube channel. And in the UK here, we have a cystic fibrosis awareness week. And I wanted to do my bit and create a bit of awareness. So I basically did a video just about my daily life with cystic fibrosis. And it kind of snowballed a bit, went quite viral, and like I wasn't expecting it at all. And people then were like, we want more videos. So I think in total I did about eight. And it was as a result of these videos that I came into contact with Katie. Um, It would have been, I think, when I looked back, because I've done some digging back into it all, and it would have been about spring 2015, so just after... I'd sort of got home and was recovering from my transplant and I had a message on my YouTube from Katie asking um, whether she could message me like in a more more personal way um, because she was currently at college training to be a nurse and she had an assignment on cystic fibrosis and she wondered whether I could answer some questions to help her out. Now This for me isn't abnormal. I've had tons of people message me over the years asking for a bit more of a personal insight into it. And a lot of people have said about my videos, they've been so helpful, you know, so much better than reading about cystic fibrosis in a textbook. Um, I have teachers messaging me saying they use my videos in their lessons. So having someone message me asking if they could ask you know, a little bit more about cystic fibrosis just didn't really phase me. It wasn't out of the ordinary. And so I was more than happy to help out. Um, so, yeah, so I think she Facebook, I, I added, she added me on Facebook and I accepted. Um, we Facebook messaged and we agreed. Um, I think we had a Skype call. Now, I've looked back to see if I could find the history, but she's obviously deleted her like sort of profile on Skype. So all of the 
conversations and stuff has unfortunately disappeared. However, I did find an email which was sent again in spring 2015 and um, I think basically following the Skype call she sent me this list of questions that she wanted me to answer to help her with her assignment and I can remember even at the time I was quite busy and I said to her I'll get them done as soon as I can but there was a hell of a lot of questions there was like nearly 50 questions um, and I like to do these things properly I didn't want to rush it I wanted to give her like you know some good information so I said to her I'll send it over as soon as I've done and I can remember even then she kind of was really on my case like messaging me like have you done it yet have you done it yet like are you sure you don't mind doing it and I was like no of course I don't mind but I'm just I've just got to get around to it you know I've got life going on as well I'm still to and from the hospital post-transplant with all my different clinics and reviews but I promise you know I'll, I'll get it sorted I said let me know what date you definitely need it by because obviously I was conscious that she must have a deadline and I said I'll make sure I get it done in plenty of time anyway I've gone back and looked at the questions and it's kind of really bizarre because actually looking back I was obviously very naive and you know I just I suppose I had no reason to believe there was a darker side to why she was asking me all these questions and I suppose for I mean, she told me she was um, training to be a nurse. And a lot of the questions she asked, actually, in hindsight, don't really relate to... It's not knowledge that you need to be a nurse. So, I mean, the question started as being quite generalised. So it was things like, describe what cystic fibrosis feels like to someone that has absolutely no knowledge of the disease. Um, she asked me about what the worst parts of having cystic fibrosis were and whether I felt in hindsight there'd been some positives to having cystic fibrosis. And then one of the ones that actually really jumped out at me when I looked back was she asked me, do you feel that people treat you differently because of your cystic fibrosis? And I think the way I answered this possibly was almost a bit of a trigger in her head for how she has gone on to behave. Because I said, yes, I said, people are a lot more protective of me and they look out for me more than other people my age. So back then I was about 21. So whereas most of my friends were really independent, I can remember even on nights out, my friends would be super protective of me and be like, are you okay, hey, Holly? You know, just really, really caring. And I also said that I felt I had um, closer and more meaningful relationships because I felt people valued my life slightly more because they knew that the possibility I wasn't going to be around for forever, you know, I wasn't going to live to, to old age. So I think people made more time for me, always would try and make plans and do nice things for me. So when you look at how she's behaved with the catfishing, pretending to have CF, and obviously she's very much an attention seeker, me telling her that I've been treated so well almost as a result of having cystic fibrosis, I can imagine was a bit of a trigger for her to think, oh, that's something that's going to get me really nice attention. Um, but she asked me lots of other questions, like about whether it had interfered with friendships and boyfriends. Um, she asked me about whether I'd worked. There were just so many questions that actually weren't related at all to the biological side of cystic fibrosis, which really as a nurse, I would kind of think is the most important thing to know. It was all very much more social questions, and quite personal questions, things about asking whether I could have children, you know, quite sensitive ones. Um, and yeah, I mean, I answered them all very honestly. I'm a very honest person. And 
and yeah, I mean, I didn't think anything of it, and you know, sent the email, off it went, and kind of didn't really think much more about it, and I kind of thought that would be my dealings with her over, and I'd done my part, you know, goodbye sort of thing. Oh no, how wrong I was. <laughs> um, so she, um, by this point, I think she had my mobile number. And I mean, it sounds stupid and I feel a bit like you girls, you kind of look back and you think, how did all this happen? How did I, she even end up with my number? Like, what, what was it that happened that I gave this stranger, really, in America, my phone number? But she just has this very persuasive way about her. She originally comes across so caring and so nice, but also she is quite pushy. And I'm very British, I'm very polite, I don't like to be rude, and so I just kind of you know, went along with it. I thought, you know, surely there's no harm in it. She seems genuine enough. Very wrong. <laughs> in hindsight, again, I was wrong. Um, so I can remember she WhatsApped me and said, hey, Holly, can I have your address? Um, I'm so grateful that you were able to help me out with my assignment. I'd really like to send you a, a gift to thank you. I, of course, said, no, you don't need to. I mean, she really didn't need to. It had taken me, you know, an hour to fill in these questions, and I didn't mind helping because I felt it would make her a better nurse if she ever came across someone with cystic fibrosis. And as someone with CF, having nice nurses is so very important. You know, you spend a lot of time in the hospital. Having caring nurses, you know, makes your time in the hospital that little bit more bearable. Um... But she was insistent on sending me a gift. So I thought, well, I can't stop her. So, you know, I just was like, okay, fine. You know, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to force you not to. I can't. So then this parcel arrives, and it's this huge, great cardboard box stuffed just full of like American cereal, sweets. Because she'd been asking me, like, what? Uh, sort of chocolate and sweets for like in the UK and obviously it's really different to you guys in America and when she was asking if I'd tried all these things and I was saying no she was outraged and she wanted to send me them so I could try them all and tell her what I thought and she sent me like a necklace she sent me like urban decay makeup you know she'd obviously spent a lot of money and I was a bit taken aback and I felt like oh my god I didn't deserve all this like all I did was answer some questions and um, it was a bit overwhelming, really, but obviously I thought, oh, it's really, really kind of her. So I messaged her and said, thank you so much, it's really nice of you. And I suppose I felt a bit guilty that she'd sent me all this stuff, and, you know, she hadn't got any, I felt that she hadn't really got much in return. And so I ended up doing her, like, a little bit of a British food parcel full of, like, British chocolate and sweets and things like that, and sent it back over to her. And I suppose really that kind of sealed the friendship idea so it went from being strangers on the internet to it becoming you know once you've exchanged gifts and you have each other's mobile numbers you've kind of took it to the next level of being we're now friends and there's a bit more of a expectation to speak more regularly and things like that so and as far as I can remember originally it wasn't too bad she'd mess she'd whatsapp me every now and then asking how I was and things and I'd you know I'd always message back and things and then it would have been the end of 2015. She started talking about wanting to visit England and that she'd always dreamed of coming to England and going to London and all of these things. And she also told me that she was considering um, coming to do 
some sort of master's course in nursing in the UK and so she wanted to visit the UK before she applied to make sure that she liked it and she thought you know she wouldn't get too homesick and all of this and so she basically was like oh if I come in on holiday to England would you you know I'd really like to meet you would you see me so I said yeah of course you know my sister lives in London so I can eat, and it's only an hour on the train from where I live, so I can easily come down and meet you. Um, so she, it kind of ended up from me saying that I'd meet her for a day to her being invited to stay at my house for like a night or two. So I could show her my hometown and uh, what British neighbourhood's like, my local pub, you know, take it to have some like typical British cuisine, like fish and chips, a roast Sunday dinner, things like that, a British curry. Um, and yeah, again, like I look back and I think, how did that happen? How did I just let this? Because really she was still a stranger from America the first time I meet her. It's like, yeah, sure, come stay at my house. Like, and I can remember my mum was like, she was fine about it. But I can remember my mum's friend being like, oh, is it not a bit weird that you're going to have this person you don't even know? like staying at your house what if they're a catfish and all of this and my mum was like oh don't be silly and my mum's very much sees the good in everyone you know believes everyone's really kind and genuine until they prove otherwise and gives anyone everyone the benefit of the doubt um so yeah my mum was fine about it and so I can remember getting the train down to London to meet Katie and I remember I arranged to meet her in Covent Garden which is a nice kind of area of London where there's all the street performers and stuff and lots of nice restaurants and there's like an outdoor market and things. Um, so I sent her like a map of and told her what, all the transport to get there and I remember that the whole time we'd been speaking up until this point, um, obviously I had Skyped her so I had seen what she looked like but only her face and she'd sent me loads of photos of her when she was younger and she was really slim she was really blonde looked like kind of a bit of a typical well a stereotypical as a british person she looked like a stereotypical blonde cheerleader american type girl you know real like girl next door type thing um so but then she had said to me that she told me all these things about her life and she, it sounded like she'd had quite a tough life and as a result she'd ended up with quite a lot of mental health issues and the medication that she'd been put on had made her pile on all this weight and she said that she'd been dieting ready to come to England because she wanted to feel nice and good for it and things um and so when she turned up she was um she was rather loved <laughs> Um, and I was a bit shocked because she obviously looked nothing like the pictures from when she was younger and when I'd spoken to her on video call I'd only ever seen her face um, and that kind of didn't totally give away what the rest of her looked like anyway she was very socially awkward I think because she'd been so chatty via whatsapp you know almost overwhelmingly so i expected her to be like it in person and she wasn't she was very quiet very softly spoken almost mumbled um and i just felt a bit awkward really and i felt like i had to do all the talking i was asking her all the questions like she didn't really ask me a lot of questions um and i kind of i suppose i just took it down to her being quite shy obviously for her it was a big deal she was in a completely foreign country by herself um 
And I suppose, yeah, it is quite daunting when you meet someone new for the first time that maybe you've been talking to a while. I don't know whether maybe she built stuff in her head of what she thought it was going to be like and it wasn't like that, I don't know. But we went for dinner and I can remember she barely ate a thing. Like, we went to this restaurant, really nice restaurant, and she ordered the food and I ordered mine and I, like, cleared my plate. And then I can remember, like, looking over and she barely touched her food and thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. And I just thought maybe she's jet-lagged and just feeling tired still and not quite, you know, not quite herself yet. Anyway, she then went back to her Airbnb. I went back to my sister's house to stay because we'd agreed the next day. She had basically said, because it was her birthday in August as well and she was going to be turning 30-something, and my birthday was in August, and um, she had asked whether we could go to the Ritz, which is a really big posh hotel in London, for a traditional um, afternoon tea. So you get, like, finger sandwiches and, um, like, scones and tea and cake and all of that. So it's very British and la di da It's what everyone thinks the Queen does all the time. Sign me up. <laughs> um, so I met her at the Ritz, and to be fair, we did have a really nice time. It was really sweet. She had called ahead and told them it was our birthday. They brought us out a little birthday cake and stuff. But it wasn't easy. The conversation didn't, you know, it wasn't It wasn't like we clicked. You know, conversation didn't flow. It was quite challenging. It felt like a lot of effort on my part. But, again, I was just polite. You know, I can talk for England, so it was kind of okay. And then um, she then went back to her, I think, oh, did we, I can't remember what we did after the Ritz. We might have gone shopping and had a walk around, I can't really remember. But then, basically, I think she went back to her Airbnb, I went back to my sister's to get my suitcase, and I said I'd get a taxi to her Airbnb, and then we'd get a taxi together to the train station to then get the train back to where I live, the city I live in, and back to my house for a few days. Um, so that we did all that, got the train back to my house, my mum picked us up from the train station and we gave her the spare bedroom and everything and it, you know, all seemed fine and she was odd, you know, she was, there was no doubt about it, I thought, and I kind of did, as soon as she kind of got to my house, knowing she was going to be staying for like three nights is what it ended up being. I really regretted it, and I was like, oh, God, I've got to, like, got to be, like, a tour guide for three days, and I was working, I had, like, one of the days I was working in the morning, and normally, because I was still quite early post, I was only, sort of, like, a year post-transplant or so, and I don't know about you, but I still really struggle with my tiredness side of it, I only work part-time, because I still get extremely tired post-transplant, and so I used to, in my old job, I used to do morning shifts, and then I'd come home and sleep all afternoon. Well, because Katie was over, I went to work all morning, and then I felt obliged in the afternoon to, like, entertain her and take her to places and stuff. So it, it kind of, I was put out by, by, you know, it wasn't easy for me to do it, but I kind of just went along with it, and I arranged some nice things. We went to a place called... Stratford upon Avon, which is where Shakespeare was born. So I took her to a lot of like really British places. Took her to the British countryside, all the green rolling hills, and took her to a cathedral and things like that. And like I say, she had all the different traditional British meals with us, which my mum made an effort to cook. Um, 
And again, she barely ate anything. And how is she not like fainting? Because she's literally had about two mouthfuls. And I remember almost being a bit annoyed to an extent as well because I felt it was quite rude after my mum had gone to the effort to make dinner and stuff that she barely touched it. Um, so the whole time that she was, she stayed. Like I didn't, we didn't really go in the room. We left her, you know, her big gave her her privacy. And then um, on the day she left, we took her to the train station because she was basically. The rest of her trip she had planned was she was getting a train from my city back to London and then she was going to get the Eurostar to Paris for a few days and then get the Eurostar back to London, have another couple of days in London before she flew home. But for me, that was when we took her to the station, that was going to be the last time I saw her unless I ever visited America. Because, But to be fair, I by that point had decided I'm never seeing you again. You're very strange. Um, this was a mistake. You know, I'm going to leave this. This is the end. So I was thinking, as soon as you're out of my house, I have no obligation anymore to speak to you. And I can kind of shut the door and be like, bye-bye, and phase you out of my life. <laughs> and, yeah, so she left, and that was it. And then my mum went into the guest room to strip the bed and clean and stuff. And she said, I can remember her coming downstairs and saying, Holly, she said, the bed is filthy. And I said, what? And she was like, it is covered in melted chocolate and crumbs. And she said, it even looks like there's blood stains all over it. And I was just like, what? And so obviously she had been secretly eating chocolate and biscuits and goodness knows what in the bedroom. And that's what had been keeping her going, not the food my mum had cooked her. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, the whole thing was just really bizarre. And... When, so this, so it was in the August, September of 2016 is when this visit happened. Um, and I had already booked that in December of 2016, I was going on a big holiday to Australia and New Zealand for a couple of weeks. You know, I thought, I've had my transplant, I can finally go travelling. I'd always wanted to go, so I decided to go. Um, and she knew that I was going and I had already warned her because of the nature of how she was because by this point she'd got extremely clingy on um, like WhatsApp and if I didn't reply on WhatsApp she would get extremely almost anxious about it and she would be sending like 20 messages in a row like why aren't you replying are you okay have I upset you what's going on and I'd just be like oh my god I have a life like I can't reply straight away plus there's a time difference and things like that and so because of all of how she was I pre-warned her that when I was going to go away I probably wouldn't be in touch because I didn't know whether I'd have wi-fi because I was that's I, I didn't have an Australian sim card or anything and my own phone contract wouldn't give me internet in Australia without having to pay a massive premium so I said to her I'd only have internet when I had wi-fi and I didn't know how often I'd have it so basically I probably wouldn't be able to speak to her that much but this was actually before she'd visited that I told her all this and obviously I after she visited I decided I was going to phase her out anyway I was going to gradually stop replying as much and just kind of slowly um, ghost her I suppose is the word I mean, it's a bit like how a boy does when you text and then suddenly he just never replies again and you're like oh, what did I do um, I was going to do that to her um, so 
yeah, so I can remember when she went back home, she was texting me just constantly, like on WhatsApp. Just It was just really bombarding me. And I didn't reply. I just couldn't face replying because I had so much on. I was really stressed about getting everything ready for going away. Work was really stressful. Um, just keeping on top of my health. And then also I was trying to enjoy life. You know, I was going out socialising with friends. So I wasn't on my phone a lot. And so I just, and I suppose I just didn't have the same desire to reply anymore because I'd met her. I thought, you're not really my kind of person. I don't really feel like I want to continue a friendship with you. So I kind of don't really want to reply. And then I can remember, because I didn't reply on WhatsApp, she then tweeted me, are you okay, honey? What's going on? Why aren't you replying? She sent me a direct message on Twitter. She sent me messages on Facebook. And it was just like, oh, my God, do you not get it? Like, just give me some space. Like, I need some space. Um, And I basically just, when she'd been over, like I said, she had a lot of mental health problems. And she kind of told me about her life. And she told me that her mum had died when she was quite young so it was just her and her dad at home and she told me that when she was at university um like at about 20 I think I know like early 20s she basically had um got pregnant as a result of a one-night stand the boy didn't want to know but she didn't want to get rid of the baby but equally she didn't feel that she was able to raise it by herself so she decided to continue the pregnancy and then put the baby up for adoption but in America she was saying that you can do open adoption you can't do that in the UK so I was like what that's so weird um but she was explaining it to me that basically it means she can still see her son and um but she was saying as well that as much as she loves seeing him she also finds it extremely hard because when she's seen him she then spends the following week basically in a really bad depression she cries and she finds the whole thing really emotional. So I, I, you know, I felt really sorry for her and everything that she'd been through. Um, and but at the same time, I find it extremely draining. You know, I've got all my own shit going on to deal with. I've just been through a transplant and I didn't have an easy transplant journey. You know, everything was really complicated. I nearly died um, after the transplant, which isn't meant to happen. Um, and... I was having, you know, I was quite stressed with work. I was I was really looking forward to going away, but equally, because I was quitting my job to go away um, to Australia, I was really worrying about what I was going to do when I got back. And just for me, I was just trying to figure out how life was going to work post-transplant, because you don't really take it. I was so busy fighting to survive, I never really thought about what I was going to do if I did survive. And for me... Having a transplant's been amazing, but I found it quite difficult to adapt to life after transplant because it's so very different to how it was before and you have this whole new identity and the things that used to take up your time, which although weren't very nice, like your physio, your nebulizers, IVs, suddenly that's all gone and you have all this time and you're like, oh, right, what, what do I do with it? And people are like, you have to go get a job. And it's suddenly like, well, I've got to get a job. I've got to sort my life out. And it's just really like smack in your face um, compared to my friends who had gone to university and gradually had a gradual introduction to adult life. For me, it just felt like I was hit by a brick wall and it was like, off you go, be an adult. And it was like, oh my gosh. So I was really struggling myself mentally. I was having therapy and things like that. So then when Katie came along, and just dumped all her emotional baggage on me as well. I was just a bit like, 
I was swamped. I just felt like I was drowning. And so I basically, as a result of her bombarding me after she had visited and not giving me any space, I messaged her and in the kind of nicest way possible and kind of sugar-coated what I just said. And I just said, look, Katie, um, you know, it was really nice of you to visit. I really enjoyed it. I kind of lied. I said, you know, I did really enjoy it. It was really nice to meet you. I said, however, I also found it really tough, um, sort of mentally, because obviously you told me a lot of things which were quite difficult to hear, like from what's happened to you, and quite emotional. I said, and I've got so much stuff going on myself. I just find it really overwhelming and actually it's really affected my own mental health. And I just said, I feel that you're asking too much from this friendship. You're on the other side of the world to me. I have all my own stuff to deal with. I can't be on the end of the phone 24 seven for you. I have all this other stuff going on, you know, I will still be your friend, but you have to realize that if I don't reply to a message straight away, or if I read a message and don't reply straight away, it's not because I'm purposely ignoring you or don't want to talk to you. I just have a lot of stuff on. And sometimes I don't feel like talking and I think that's okay. I shouldn't have to always have an excuse or a reason as to why. Sometimes you're just not in the mood to talk. And so you read a message and then you think, right, I'll reply to that later. I can't face that right now. And that happened a lot, you see. So I was really honest with her and I, you know, I said to her about it and I said, if you don't stop bombarding me, I'm not going to be able to continue this friendship. And so she messaged back and she basically said, I think you've been really harsh um, and I don't think what you've said is okay. I think you're really out of order. Um, I've done nothing but be a good friend to you and kind of tried to guilt trip me and all of this stuff and it actually made me really angry because I just thought you know what you have no idea what I've been through really and what it's been like and you're actually being really selfish from what you're asking from a friendship and it almost made me think that obviously she didn't really have any friends because I just thought if you had friends you would know that this isn't a normal way to behave towards a friend like this isn't a normal friendship like I've never had anyone else behave in that way to me or be that demanding of my time and emotions um and again it was someone that I'd only met once and kind of it all just spiraled out of control really and I just felt really I just didn't have a good feeling about it all and I just felt that I needed to get her out of my life and so after she had kind of replied to this message she said to me, you don't have to reply, but I would really like it if you, if you did. She said, I won't, I won't get in touch again until you say it's okay. So I didn't reply because I didn't, didn't feel like I was ready. I was extremely angry and upset by how she had reacted to my message. And I thought, I can't reply right now because I'm going to say things I regret and I'm going to be nasty which I didn't want to do, so I just didn't reply, um, and I kind of thought, well, she said she's not going to message me again until I say it's okay, so this is it, this is this is my escape, you know, I'm never going to message her, so she's never going to message me again, oh, how wrong I was, <laughs> and so then between, so between September 2016 and the end of December 2016, she probably messaged me a total of 50 times on Facebook Messenger, um, just constantly. And I just ignored every single one because I just thought, 
you've obviously taken absolutely nothing on board that I said. You've told me one thing, which is you're not going to message me until I say it's okay. And then you've just continued to message me. And one side of me felt a bit guilty. I thought, obviously, she really needs a friend. She's obviously very lonely and hasn't really got any friends. But the other part of me still felt angry and just felt like I'm never. this friendship is never going to be equal. It's, you know, I'm always the one having to be like an agony on a therapist and a friend all in one. And I can't do that from the other side of the world. Like, you know, that just isn't realistic. We've got I've got my own life to get on with and I didn't feel like she was a positive impact on my life I felt like she was a negative and draining impact and I didn't really want her in my life so yeah as I say I ignored these messages she sent me and it was just yeah just bizarre and so when I then obviously so then fast forward now so basically I never responded um, to any of the messages as I've said and then she never she after December 2016 she never messaged me again and by that point I had deleted and blocked her phone number I had deleted and blocked her on all social media I, I don't think I deleted her actually I blocked her on all social media because I just thought this girl is never going to leave me alone and she just isn't getting the message and so Finally, she obviously did in December 2016. But I since realised or think that basically she had got all the information and stuff she needed to um, to carry out her plan, basically, which was obviously to be a catfish and pretend to have cystic fibrosis. Um, and... The next time uh, she cropped up was in October uh, 2017, so just a few months ago. And I say she cropped up, she didn't, because I knew her as Katie, which is her real identity. Um, And obviously I knew her as not having cystic fibrosis or any of this stuff. And I can remember I was on Twitter, and there's a very big cystic fibrosis community on Twitter, um which I'm quite active in and one of the kind of um organization groups called CF Aware had I think retweeted one of the tweets of Michaela and I noticed the sort of photo icon and I thought I really recognize that person why do I recognize her So I kind of clicked on the profile to investigate and the profile wasn't private so I could see all the tweets, all the photos, everything. And I freaked out because I was like, that's Katie. That is 100% Katie. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because my initial thought was, has she had cystic fibrosis all along? And pretended to me that she didn't and she came to my house she she, you know she stayed in my house I spent all this time with her and if she has cystic fibrosis and hasn't had a transplant and I have she's put my life at huge risk how dare she do something like that that was my initial thought so I thought I had been catfished and that she for some reason was desperate to meet someone in England with cystic fibrosis even though I felt there's loads of people in America surely that she must know from 
you know, if she goes to a CF hospital, you know, goes to a CF unit at a hospital and stuff. Um, and then I think I kind of thought, no, I don't think that is the case. Like, and I basically went on her Twitter, took loads of screenshots, and I messaged a friend of mine who had known about Katie. I told him the whole story. He's another um, British person who has cystic fibrosis who I'm really good friends with, and I've never met, <laughs> but I am um, FaceTime with all the time, and I'm hoping he's genuine and real. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, and I told him the whole story of what happened, and he had found the whole thing really bizarre, and he had basically encouraged me to kind of get around my life. So, yeah, so I messaged my friend and all these screenshots and I said to him, I think this is Katie. Do you think it's Katie? And he had obviously seen photos that I'd had taken with her when she visited me in England and he messaged me straight back and he said, yeah, I'm totally sure that's Katie. And he then actually went on his phone and found all the photos that I'd sent him from when she visited and sent them back to me and was like, look, it is 100% Katie. And the reason he sent them back to me is because basically when I was in Australia, I lost my phone and my phone had had all the photos on and I hadn't backed them up. So he managed to still have some so that I ended up still having them. And he was like, yeah, it's definitely her. So I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Excuse my language. And I was just like, what do I do? And I then, I freaked out because I was just a bit like, you kind of think, surely not. Surely someone would not do that. That is just so messed up. Like, so messed up. Surely she would not pretend to have cystic fibrosis. And obviously I went on, on her Twitter account, she had all these photos with oxygen on and as if she had a tracheotomy in. And, and then I saw these tweets about her as if it was her family tweeting for her, and which obviously must have been Tyler. But I didn't realise any of this. I didn't have this much detail. Um, I just assumed it was some sort of family member was tweeting on her behalf. And she they were saying that she was in a coma, she was waiting for her transplant, asking for prayers and things like that. And I can just remember thinking, this is just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like, this person is not well. Like, not well as in they've got cystic fibrosis, not well as in they are mentally not well. Um, and so I said to Charlie, what should I do? I feel like people need to be told that this person isn't real. Cis the CF community is really tight-knit. And for someone to pretend to have cystic fibrosis there's no doubt that people are getting involved you know that will be following her story and will have an emotional attachment to her and this is emotional abuse this is totally not okay um and I just didn't really know what to do and I can remember I impulse tweeted and I do that a lot and then regret it <laughs> and this was one of those occasions and I tweeted saying there's a catfish on Twitter. Somebody either pretended to me that they didn't have CF and visited me and spent time with me, or they don't have cystic fibrosis and they're now pretending to have cystic fibrosis, which is totally effed up. Anyway, 
I then, the next, and then I kind of sort of forgot about it. But a lot of people tweeted me saying, who, who is it, tell me. And I kind of didn't want to call her out because it's really, as you guys said at the start of your last podcast, it's a very quite touchy subject. You know, it's not easy to broach and to call somebody out on the internet and say you're a liar, you don't have cystic fibrosis, you're pretending without real cold hard evidence is really difficult because, yeah, sure, I had these photos with her but all the photos on her um, Twitter were had sort of filters on and things like that. And why wouldn't you believe someone had it if they're wearing oxygen and seem to have all the medical equipment to support having cystic fibrosis? Um, so I just kind of thought no one was going to believe me and I would look like the bad guy. Um, and I then got so I never called her out and then I got really and then I started to just and then the next day I decided I wanted to but I needed to get some evidence and build a case so I could present it in a way that showed that she definitely was a catfish and people would believe me anyway the next day I click onto her twitter to take screenshots of all this stuff that I could then put into you know, like photos side by side to show the photos of her when she visited me compared to these photos to show it was the same person um, and things. And all of a sudden, her Twitter was private. And I noticed that she followed me. Um, so at the time, I had an, uh, a public Twitter profile, so anybody could follow me at any time. And I never kept tabs on who followed me. So... I don't have any idea when Michaela started following me, um, but obviously she did, which is totally messed up as well. And she still did follow me, but obviously I couldn't see anything of hers because I didn't follow her. And I think she saw my tweet, knew I was onto her, so quickly made her Twitter private. And I kind of figured out that if I requested to follow her she would 100% decline and not allow me to so I kind of shot myself in the foot because I was like damn there's all my evidence gone so I said to my friend Charlie um who I told everything to I said is do you follow her I said or will you request to follow her so he was like yeah yeah I'll do it I'll do it so he requested it, and I think it took ages before she actually accepted him or he noticed that she had accepted him. And life got really stressful. I had loads of stuff going on. It was approaching Christmas. I had, you know, there was just... Life goes on, doesn't it? It gets busy. And I kind of... It just went to the back of my mind. And I think because she was then private, she never appeared on my timeline anymore. And I kind of sort of forgot about it. And then... It was CF Adventures on Twitter, um, who I think is quite a big American tweeter for the CF community over there, um, basically tweeted the link to your Instagram post about your catfish podcast. And it caught my attention straight away. And I can remember thinking, oh, shit, I really hope this isn't what I think it is clicked onto your Instagram, and there she was in all her glory, tracheotomy in, blonde frizzy hair, stupid Snapchat filter, <laughs> pretending to have cystic fibrosis. 
and the link to your podcast and I was sat at work when this happened and I just went <gasps> and all my colleagues turned around and they were like what's going on Holly what what's what's the deal and I told them everything and they were like no no way surely not and I was like I'm gonna put my headphones in I'm listening and I sat there for an hour barely did any work because I was just engrossed listening to you guys and also horrified and so upset at the same time and literally, as soon as I'd listened, I was like, I've got to get in touch with these girls because I've got so much, I know so much about this person. And I felt like, I almost felt responsible for the fact she'd been able to so accurately and believably portray to have cystic fibrosis because her story that she had used was so similar to mine. And so obviously she had based her cystic fibrosis diagnosis and life and symptoms and everything on all this stuff I had given her. So it was things like um, she supposedly had pneumonia and sepsis. Well, after my transplant, 10 days after my transplant, unfortunately, as a complication of the, well, not really a complication of the surgery, but one of the... Um, bacteria that cystic fibrosis patients get called pseudomonas I had had in my old lungs and I also had it in my sinuses and so they're not really sure whether when they took my old lungs out there was a bit of spillage of bacteria into sort of the pleural cavity which then got into the new lungs or whether basically from my sinuses I got kind of a bit disgusting but snot dripping back into my lungs and that kind of reinfected the new lungs and then as a result of my lungs becoming infected with pseudomonas, I then got pneumonia as a secondary infection. And then on top of that, I had sepsis. And so 10 days after transplant, I woke up with a soaring temperature, couldn't breathe, and basically got retaken up to the intensive care unit, got reventilated, put in a coma for about two weeks. And the doctors basically told my mum and dad to prepare for the worst. They didn't think I was going to make it. They talked about putting me onto ECMO, which is kind of a life support machine that takes over the function of your heart and lungs. Um, and the theory was they thought maybe a machine took over it, it would give my body time to rest and recover. Um, but they then decided against doing that because they basically didn't think I was strong enough to even survive the operation to put me onto this machine. Um, so I was in this coma for a few weeks before I finally woke up after they'd pumped me full of antibiotics um so after about three weeks in intensive care I got back down onto the kind of high dependency ward everything was going great I'd only been on the high dependency ward for three days I woke up again unable to breathe and I thought oh no I can't do all that again <laughs> that was like horrendous like this can't be happening anyway it turned out it wasn't my lungs it was my kidneys I had kidney failure so um, they had to take me back up into intensive care. They had to fit me with um, like a special dialysis line and I had to start dialysis. And they have, I was on dialysis for about a month. So basically all in all, I was in the hospital post-transplant for about nine weeks. And the doctors said to me, we knew you were going to be difficult, Holly, but we didn't think you were going to be this difficult. <laughs> And they said, you're a miracle, you shouldn't be alive, la -di da So I feel very lucky. But as a result of um, 
the kidney failure was as a result of all the antibiotics that pumped me full of to get rid of the pseudomonas and pneumonia and my kidneys hadn't coped very well so that's why I ended up needing the dialysis luckily they recovered enough for me to come off dialysis but I do have to get seen every six months by um, the kidney team and they have said to me that the chances are in the future I will need a kidney transplant so I'll I'll cross that bridge when I come to it but obviously when I had what you guys had said about what Michaela had what had happened to her and that she had needed like her, was it a kidney transplant and a liver transplant and all sorts of stuff I thought and that she'd had sepsis and all of and she'd been put in a coma and all these different things I just thought that's like she has just taken all these different bits from my story and pieced it together to make it her story and it was just bizarre and I just yeah I obviously had to get in contact with you guys and here I am telling my side of the story <laughs> yeah so I'm just so sorry that you guys have to go through that and I feel really guilty that back in October I didn't kind of shout out about what was going on because maybe I could have stopped you guys from going through quite so much pain and her faking a death and you having to grieve that because it is just beyond sick it is just totally diabolical it's just horrendous I just cannot believe anybody would do that and it really I wanted to get involved with you guys and try and create as much awareness about this person as possible because I don't want anyone else to go through it and you know I am worried that although I think to be fair because I don't think she would dare do it to the cystic fibrosis community again but I feel like she's such a sick and twisted individual. If she doesn't get the help that she so obviously needs, she could go and do this to the cancer community or the Crohn's disease community or whatever. And, you know, she obviously has ways to get information as she did out of me. She's very, she's very cunning, very conniving, very manipulative and, she knows how to get what she wants and to do it in a way that just comes across as completely innocent and I feel just really angry about the whole situation and I feel like she needs locking up forever and we need to throw away the key but I know that isn't the answer I know she needs to get like help but it's whether or not that help is she gets that and I think unless her family are made aware of the situation she's just going to keep doing this and hurting more and more people for her weird need for attention because she obviously can't get attention in any other way which is just totally mental yeah so that's my my uh, little tale it's <laughs> quite a story i my mind is blown because i knew bits and pieces from nima but not the whole thing. Like, I had no idea that this was actually your story that she yeah. took and manipulated into Michaela's, which is insane. And mm -hmm. don't feel bad at all because she, if it wasn't, if it weren't you, it would have been someone else that she would have done this to. Yeah. And like you said, you didn't have enough evidence. Who would have believed you? Because she already had all these people. The reason Dima and I are trying to be the biggest whistleblowers on this is because we physically we were so unwrapped, but we have all of this evidence yeah. and someone approached us and we have some things in the past where it makes us kind of like a little wary towards people. So little red flags 
popped up, like we were saying yeah. in the last podcast. And then we started putting, like, two and two together. But, like you said, like, you don't want to think the worst of someone who has CF. She had other no, things going on. So, of course not. But now, Katie, we see you, bitch. You are blowing up. And I refuse to let her do this to any other CFR or another chronic illness like cancer or Crohn's, like you said, because, yeah, she didn't ask for money, but she did emotional abuse. She got you wrapped up in her life. She consistently, constantly talked talked to you. And I think what what happened was I was writing down notes as you were speaking. For us, at least, when we first started talking to her, Emma mentioned that it was kind of hard to get her to respond. Sometimes it took her longer than necessary to respond. And I noticed the same thing with whenever I talked to Katie as Taylor, because I knew her as Taylor. Yeah. She didn't respond right away all the time. So I think what she learned from is if she was overbearing, she would lose us. So she did the opposite. Uh, so she, you were yeah. her first test subject. So I wonder who came after you. That's really yeah. curious of what happened. And the eating thing, she totally didn't really eat in front of us. I mean, I didn't hang out with her as much as Nima did, but I took her out to dinner the first time I met her when Nima was in the hospital. And I I thought she was pretty hungry because she had been hospital food or taking care of Michaela. Yeah. And when I was taking care of Nima and she in the hospital and I would go eat somewhere, I would eat. And yeah. You this have is to. Sound you have to like replenish your energy. You have to be like on top form. Just yeah. little things that were just odd, and obviously the eating thing. But then just the way that she was so chatty and demanding via messages, like you know, like a bit mm-hmm. of a keyboard warrior. And yet in person, she barely struggled to string. She struggled to string a sentence together. You know. And she was really awkward, and it just didn't make sense to me. And, I mean, I feel like I had quite a lucky escape because, I mean, I feel almost like she emotionally abused me a bit in the sense that she was just so overbearing and she drained me. You know, she took so much of my energy and mental strength when I needed it myself. And I don't care how selfish that sounds, you know. Like you guys, you just got through transplant you were recovering you had all your own emotions to be processing and sorting out and you did a really nice thing in almost taking Michaela and Taylor under your wing and being good friends to them you know and you know giving them a support structure and that took a lot of emotion emotional strength from you guys and a lot of mental strength as well because it, it is hard like you know when you're going through stuff yourself, I i don't know about you guys, but I personally have found that it's really nice to talk to other people that have cystic fibrosis and have gone through transplants. But you obviously, when you go through things, you get told by the doctors a certain set of like side effects or risks and things. And you kind of accept it, you sign the forms and you, know, you go through it. But sometimes you talk to other people and they tell you, oh, well, this happened to me and this happened to me. And suddenly there's all these things that you never thought about happening. Yeah, so um, I I feel that sometimes ignorance is bliss almost. And when you, when you find out all this stuff, things that you hadn't even thought about, you suddenly get told about and things become a lot more scary and worrying and stuff. And so sometimes I have 
tended to distance myself a little bit more at difficult times because I've thought I don't want to know all these things that can happen it's scary enough as it is from what the doctors have told me I don't want to know about all these other complications that have happened to people because it's almost hard enough as it is like going through it all isn't it so for you to obviously go you know almost go on the transplant journey with Michaela and Taylor after you'd just been through it and we're now on the other side of it and trying to put life back together and recover that was a really big thing for you guys to do and I don't think people always realize and appreciate that that for you guys to sacrifice so much and be so supportive to Michaela and Taylor was a big deal you know that was a lot for you guys to do that and you were really good friends to her and it's just a shame that she completely um, used you and exploited you really she exploited your kindness and friendship and yeah yeah you just yeah yeah you you just put it very very well because that's exactly what she did and I uh, unfortunately, after this experience, I, I told him, I was like, I need to kind of, this is going to sound terrible, distance, my, distance myself a little from the CF community. Yeah. Just because I got so emotionally invested in their story because, it, I mean, it's, it's your story. It's not even, you know what I mean? And the fact that someone could do that, and it, it just, it drained me. I was not, I had just moved to Minneapolis. I was trying to get my life together here, and like it was a huge distraction. I was always yeah. constantly worried about her, making checking my phone. I wasn't living in the moment. I mean, Edema was the same on her phone all the time, and not living in the moment, not appreciating, you know, all the things she can do in Denver. And this succubus, I'm just gonna, Katie the succubus, that's what I'm calling her now, uh, just went in for the kill and. She yeah. knew exactly what she was doing. She's very precise about it. We know she's done this to other people also. Yeah. And like you were saying on the CF social community, because you guys can't be within six feet of each other, you didn't really think too much about, you know, getting in, in contact with other CFers. And that's the no. scary part about the social media part of CF is you there's a huge trust system there, which is amazing. Massively, massively. I mean, the, the online the community issue. is a lifeline for us guys because unlike any other chronic illness, you know, in my local village, there's a cancer support group and every week people can go to the support group, they get massages, they get manicures, they get therapy, they all talk to each other and it's really nice and great. In the CF community, we can't do that. When we go to the hospital, we get put in our own room, we're isolated, you, there's, you know, you're not allowed near each other, you're not allowed to talk to each other and it's like the only other people that understand you and what you're going through, you can never ever see. It's really hard and so obviously, yeah, with social media, that's been a really big, you know, really nice thing for us guys. It's enabled us to have a community and have a support network and be able to kind of meet people, so to speak, online and connect with them. And she completely exploited that. And, you know, she abused that. You know, she saw that it was going to be really easy for her to get into that community because, yeah, people do just suddenly appear and it's like, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm, this is where I live, this is my story, and you're just like, oh, okay, cool, like, I'm Holly, nice to meet you. And it's then, yeah, it's just, I think the, th the other thing I might say that 
going back that kind of stood out for me with Michaela that I found bizarre is that literally she tweeted about nothing but her cystic fibrosis, um, which is all that really actually often rings alarm bells because then you do just think there's more to life than your cystic fibrosis. I know it does take up a lot of your life, but CF isn't what defines you. You know, you should be able to, you know, there's other things in your life that are worth talking about and just your CF and so often you know I'm a bit like you guys I'm quite wary about who I speak to and things and I'm not a big fan of attention seekers and so I think that's probably why I never followed Michaela because if I had seen her and not made that connection straight away I think I would have just seen her like she's one of the ones that tweets all the time about CF it's all she talks about I can't be bothered with that and didn't follow her sort of thing so <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it just smacks of, I want attention, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. And she also um, would talk about cubs all the time, like, cubbies this, pray for my cubbies, the cubbies are on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what is that, an American American baseball, the Chicago? Okay, yeah, we we don't have baseball in England, we have football and rugby. (laughs) You guys have the good football. You do, or we do. No, no, you have the good football. Oh, yeah, yeah. My um, my hometown, Leicester, we won the, um, I think you probably heard of it, like, because everyone was like, oh, my God, it's like the American dream. It's like, we literally were, the chances of a, my team winning was like 5,000 to one, and we, we won, like, the whole entire English league, and it was just, like, crazy. Oh, like, everyone went mental. <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she, it's just, I don't even have words to string together other than the audacity of this person. And I, we're never going to know because she is a pure sociopath. There are definitely issues. We, Mm -hmm. honestly, what is real, what is not? Did she think that these people existed? In her mind, is Michaela an actual person? Is Taylor an actual person? Does she have, um what's it called, uh, multiple personalities? Munchaz. Munch- oh, I don't know if she, I felt like she had, because I had a look online, because I was like, she has, I she got something wrong, and I think she may have that Munchausen's by internet, where you basically pretend to have um, an illness, basically to get attention, is what the kind of um, description of that mental disorder is. So, and yeah, maybe split personality disorder as well, who knows, because it really... From even when you said you met up with her for dinner and you confronted her about it all, it was like she was still in denial then, even when you were telling her that you knew who she was and that she was called Katie and you knew everything that she had told you was a lie, she still tried to continue with that she was um, t- t- Taylor, right? So that's just like totally, yeah, just totally bonkers. That I, I feel like, yeah, maybe she did just actually believe in her head that it was all real. And that's the thing, we we'll probably never know. And honestly, I don't think I really want to know because honestly, I want to get done with this. I want to expose her more, talk to more people, have another podcast about this, make sure that no one goes through this. And kind of what you said, put it behind me because this is not the energy I want in my life. I don't want this to be part of my life where I keep talking about it because she, in the end, she's getting what she wants. She's still getting attention. She's not even here. She's not even physically our friend anymore, but we can't stop talking about her. Good or bad, she doesn't know the difference. Like, sociopaths don't understand 
good nice. and bad. It's just attention. And she's listening to this, then she is getting what she wants, but not in a good way. And I don't think she understands that. She's taken time away from us and just like all this energy from all of us, like not just us three, but like anyone that she's put in contact with, she's stolen time. She's And if there's one thing that's precious as someone with cystic fibrosis, it's time. Yes. And she has taken that away from you and she should not get any more time from you guys because you gave her way more than she ever deserved. I mean, she didn't deserve a single millisecond. So... She has just got to go in the bin and pretend she never existed. And I just want to go back to the point of, you know, time. When you were saying that you were post-transplant and she was staying with you at your parents' house and you went to work in the morning and then you were exhausted and tired, she stole your time and your energy. What if you had over-exhausted yourself and ended up in the hospital or your immune system is already compromised and you're spending all this extra energy and you're tired and then you have to work the next day. And the fact yeah. that she said she was a nurse and doing that, I have a visceral <laughs> reaction to this right now. My hands are yeah. like this. When you were saying that, I legit was yeah. imagining punching her in the face multiple times. Yeah. It, yeah, she... Yeah, I mean, considering she was supposed to be, like, a healthcare professional that had, yeah. you know, some kind of understanding of how cystic fibrosis and chronic illnesses and things work, she obviously had absolutely no respect for that because she had no respect for my time and she demanded my time constantly. And she, she did, yeah, it is rude. And she didn't respect the fact that I needed to rest. I needed my sleep because obviously with the time difference, like right here in the UK right now, it's about one o'clock in the morning. Oh my God, um, we're keeping my, you up. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's my weekend. I can sleep in in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So it's fine. Um, but yeah, so there's a big time difference. And so she would often message me and my phone would like go off and vibrate or whatever in the night and it would wake me up. And so, like, yeah, she was even disturbing my sleep. I couldn't even escape her in my sleep. The succubus. Uh, and so, in the end, I used to have to put my phone on to like don't disturb, so that it, it wouldn't wake me and stuff. And it's just like I shouldn't have to take those sort of measures to make sure that I can get a good night's sleep. It's yeah, she is just a very, very selfish individual. I don't think I've ever met anyone as selfish as her. And I mean. In some ways, I feel sorry for her, but I don't feel sorry for her because I hate her guts. Um, but I, I kind of think she just must have the shittest life ever if she's pretended to have CF to get attention. I mean, how shit does your life have to get to do that? Because I wouldn't wish cystic fibrosis on my worst enemy. You know, yeah, like, it is. Why would anyone want that? Like, she's no. Yeah. It, yeah. If in Car- a nutshell, she is absolutely crazy. She is a total fruit loop. Yeah. If karma does exist, which I think it does, or um, reincarnation, if that's a thing and she gets reincarnated, I hope that she gets reincarnated as something terrible or actually does have CF. But again, I don't wish that upon anyone. But maybe, you know, maybe you need to learn your lesson and figure out yeah. that you shouldn't pretend to have something that you don't and that other people yeah. wake up and wish they didn't have. 
I do hope I do hope that something really bad happens to her and she actually does find herself sat in a hospital bed yeah. on oxygen needing life-saving surgery and realizes that it's not a barrel of laughs it's mm. not fun it's not worth it for any kind of attention you wish every single second that you're not in that hospital bed and that you could just be normal and with your friends living a normal life there is absolutely nothing fun or nice about it and no amount of attention makes it worth it either like it really doesn't and so I hope that one day she is in that position and she realizes it is hell it is hell on earth cystic fibrosis is just horrendous and yeah it is not 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 fun and yeah I, yeah I mean I'm a bit like you I'm just lost for words about the whole thing to be honest with you yeah and especially the she set equipment up I I hope people who listen to this I, we, Adema and I took screenshots before Adema did the approach and, and called her out and we just took a bunch of screenshots of her Instagram account just so we would have evidence later on because we yeah. knew that she was going to delete them. But she staged photos and I, if people haven't seen these photos, just imagine a snap, she always had these stupid Snapchat filters on but it was so you couldn't recognize the difference. Yeah. She did like the trake, like oxygen tube she put blood in wires she was changing her voice it it just the the length and the effort that she went to go to to stage these photos to get it right is oh yeah you can't knock her determination what i mean the commitment was there yeah the commitment she knew what she was doing she's execution she had probably notes and details i i would love to know we're not we're gonna know but you know after she gets off the phone with dima and Emma feels really bad for her, and she's telling her, Michaela, does she laugh? Does she feel really good? Does she have a drink? Does she stage another another photo? I want to know what her immediate family does. Do any of them know? Because she was apparently living with her dad at this point, correct? Emma? Yeah. Unless that was a lie, but I did meet her dad at her the condo. I don't know whose condo it was. Probably her dad's. And I actually yeah, we found him on Instagram, her father, and he, he is a like a retired for retired guy and he does like photography around Colorado and she's in a couple photos oh yeah I saw I went on so I knew the name of her dad and the name of her siblings and as a result of listening to your podcast I kind of I actually went on my Facebook and I unblocked her and her Facebook profile was still up it has now since been deleted but um, she didn't really have any... Fa- I was no longer friends with her, so I was very limited to what I could see. But I clicked on her friends list. I could see her family members, um, which she talked about to me, like her sister and brother and her dad. And I clicked on them, and there was recent photos from over the Christmas period. And she was sat laughing and joking, like, at lunchtime with all her, like, nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and father and things like that. So, I mean, it is just bonkers she was just leading this double life and how I mean how she concealed it from her family if she did conceal it because I I'm I'm sure she must have no surely no family would let someone do that you know you would get them help you would you know you'd section them that's what you'd do in the UK you'd be like you're going into hospital until you get better mm-hmm. um and yeah I mean how she actually managed to conceal it from her family is just bizarre and I mean you were saying that you did a sort of a search on her and she has no work history. So, I mean, she had a lot of time on her hands. So, basically, this was her full-time job. Being a catfish was her full-time job. She had every hour of every day to devote 
to this, which, I mean, it is just, yeah, it's weird. It's just mad that someone would do that. Her uh, work history ended in, like, 2015. Um, which is it, when she got in touch with me. Yeah, and she was never a nurse. It was just, like, a health administrator. Um, but, I mean, sometimes those things aren't fully accurate, so who knows? Maybe she tried, or who the fuck knows, but... I wonder they were, like, I was a bit like, I don't know where she managed to get all this equipment from. I mean, I don't know how it is in America, whether you can buy stuff. Like, in the UK, you don't. You get it all in hospital, but I'm assuming that I mean, she maybe bought it or maybe she stole it from a hospital when she was working as an administrator yeah. with, you know, it was all premeditated. I don't know. I mean, that I mean it, is, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. That could have been you say it. she put people together? It wasn't actually, like, a trach. Um, yeah, so someone actually commented on your Instagram post and said that the tube she had coming out of her neck, um, the person that commented said that she was a respiratory therapist, so obviously very knowledgeable in the world of lungs and associated de- medical devices such as tracheotomies and stuff. And the woman commented on it, on your photo basically saying that it wasn't even a tracheotomy. She, she, she had um, the neck band on of a tracheotomy, like the collar, Oh, yeah, I did see that. I did see that. Um, but the tubing that was coming out was from a CPAP. And the thing is, say she was living with her dad. Maybe that's not her dad, but I think it is her dad because we I found him on Instagram. And where when is she taking these photos? How is she hiding the equipment? There's just so many unanswered questions that are going to be lingering. And that's the thing. It's like you just got to put it behind you. But... It's just so funny that, you know, you tried to do that and then it just came back up. And your initial reaction, you were probably just like, am I in Twilight right now? Like the Twilight series. Yeah. I like, she was just like, how is this happening? I thought she was out of my life. How has she reappeared? And I think the thing was as well, when I, when she was in my life back in 2015 and 16, I felt like I was the only one going, you know, I was the only one that was going through, you know, no one else knew her and she was just this random person from America and everyone was a bit like, didn't really get it. And they were like, why is this person staying at your house and all of this? And I tried to explain and no one really got it. And then suddenly to see that she was the talk of the CF community was just bonkers. And I was just like, what? This, like, random American girl has been, has gone from being this random American girl to being, like, the talk of the worldwide CF community. Because it is. It's, like, over in Britain. It's people in Australia. It's people in Ireland, you know. And everyone seems to know her and have been affected by her. And it's just crazy that the way it's just sort of snowballed and she suddenly now, everyone knows who she is, which... As we've said, she's probably loving. Yeah, Yeah. she's definitely loving the attention. She doesn't know if it's good or bad. And it's unfortunate that we're the ones giving her more attention. But it's not her. It's what she's done. And it's people like her. And we want to protect the CF community because, I mean, I don't have CF. And I'm part of the community because of Edema. And it's such a loving, loving community. And you guys are so trusting and loving and supporting. And it's... If you don't have CF, you don't. I don't fully understand. I I grasp it, but not the full entity of it. Because unless you have it, you don't know. Yeah. So I know as much as I a person who can't have it, who's related to it. 
But as you were saying, it's just, it's bonkers. But I guess if you look at the good part of it, it's, we probably would never met other than this circumstance. So I hope that it does bring people together closer who actually do have CF, like you do, and Emma does, and start new friendships. So maybe something good can come out of this very sour lemonade and start a discussion that maybe if someone was planning to do something like this in the future, we stop them. Because I know the CFF.org, I went to Mixer in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, and I told one of the head guys of the chapter here, and then they started talking about it internally, and then I guess they got in contact with the Colorado office, because this is a big issue, because this puts CFers in danger. Because like you said, what if she had CF and was lying about it and just showed up? total possibility or you know had a cold or was putting you in danger or had something else like we don't know yeah so I think it's a really important conversation that at least now we're talking about and it's gonna hopefully preemptively stop something worse and that's the only way that I can think about it yeah I think I would just I would finish this off by saying if you see a picture of a frizzy blonde-haired plump girl who is not particularly attractive, looks a lot like Little Miss Piggy from The Muppets. Um, block that 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 weirdo yeah. straight away and do not take a word she says seriously because every word that comes out of her mouth is a lie. She does not have cystic fibrosis and as you said, she's done this twice now. She's had two different personas, Riley and Michaela and who knows, maybe she will do it again. And so, yeah, you have been warned. Frizzy, blonde, piggy face. Avoid. Avoid. <laughs> she mumbles and she'll send you gifts that are just, what? Mumbles. Yeah. And she'll mumbles get, get you emotionally invested. Well, Holly, this has been very, very educational and very eye-opening. And if only the viewers could see my facial expressions during the I've story. I've been enjoying it very much. It's just, I enjoy facial expression. It gets a kick out of them because half the time my mouth is literally on the floor or I'm pulling my hair out or I'm literally just shaking my fist in the air or I fall on the floor. So I just, I've been going through an emotional roller coaster. So the viewer or listeners, you're probably furious and have gone through all the emotional facial expressions that I have gone through. So thank you yeah. so much for talking to us and yes. you're welcome and I would say that I am you know if there's one good thing to come out of this whole thing it's you guys and me actually kind of speaking yes. and forming a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Actually is genuine and nice. Yeah, and we would love to have you back on the podcast and just to talk about you and everything and not anything to do with succubus. Yeah, of course it'd be quite cool to like discuss the differences between like Sort of how CF is over in yes. England compared to in America. And the I think care we have and how it's all structured and works. New podcast yeah. coming up soon. Differences in the UK. <laughs> okay, well, thank I'm you. Sure there's not that many, but yeah. There might be. <laughs> well, thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, and listening Yo. to the story. And I hope you enjoy this very large Halloween candy that we provided you guys because I'm full very full and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon have a good week bye